You are listening to audio from New Life Foursquare, located in Harbor City and Norwalk, California. Today on our Norwalk campus, Pastor John Edmiston continues our Death to Selfie series with a message on the life of Daniel. And today we'll be talking about the resurrection, not of Jesus Christ, but the resurrection of believers on the last day, when the last trump sounds, and we shall all be changed. And it's part of this series uh, on death to selfie, and we'll see how it connects with Daniel. Daniel was in Babylon. He was in a very wicked place. People, it said people would run to and fro, and knowledge would increase. The world would become incredibly worldly and complex. But the resurrection says this world and all its politics and all its commerce and all its running to and fro will come to an end. There will be a great tribulation and then there will be a, uh, the Lord will descend with a shout and the dead will rise and we shall rise in glory. And when we rise in glory, that's the end of the game. That our hope is the hope of the resurrection. And we've lost a bit of that understanding. We tend to place our Christian hope on being blessed here and now and on a sort of prosperity gospel. Or we put our hope in the rapture. And the, the Bible doesn't say put your hope in the rapture, put the hope in getting out of here. It says put your hope in the resurrection and the glory you will have when you're raised from the dead. So our hope is not in this life. It's not in our uh, 500 friends on Facebook. It's not in our image and reputation in this world. For often the first will be last and the last will be first on that day. So we need to know the goalposts. We need to know what we're aiming at. Uh, what we aim at as Christians, the hope of the resurrection, is a glorious resurrection. And I'll explain what that means. It's not often preached on for some reason. Uh, we tend to preach a lot on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We don't tend to preach that much on the resurrection of believers. So I will go through this and there's a lot more to be understood. There's an enormous amount in the New Testament on this. But before I do that, before I do that, let's pray. Father in heaven, we ask for enlightenment. We ask that your word will become true to us and powerful to us. We ask that it will go forth with clarity and that we will hear and understand your Bible. We will understand the times of the end. We will understand the glory of the resurrection that you have prepared for us and the mighty hand of God that can raise the dead. And Lord, we ask that you, Holy Spirit, will open our spiritual ears and our spiritual eyes that we may understand the glory that is in Christ Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's start. A bit of, you know what happens when I preach. There's lots of Bible verses. We'll start with Daniel chapter 12. You know, you go Ezekiel, Daniel. So, uh, so we'll go there. Isaiah, Jeremiah, uh, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel. Daniel chapter 12. This is the end of the story. Daniel's now about 85 or 90 years old. Uh, by the way, when Daniel gets in the lion's den, he's 85. He's not a young Daniel. He's 85 years old. He's a very old man when he's thrown into the lion's den. He's frail. Eventually he goes back to Jerusalem. Uh, and we find that. Uh, so, Daniel 12, 1 to 4. At that time, Michael, that's the archangel Michael, shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered. 
Everyone who is found written in the book, that's the book of life. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Now, keep one finger there and go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 35 to 55. And this explains what's happening in Daniel. This is a big explanation of how the resurrection will occur. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 35 to 55. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain, perhaps wheat or some other grain. But God gives it a body as he pleases, and to each seed its own body. All flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another of animals, another of fish, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies and terrestrial bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one, and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun, another glory of the moon, and another glory of the stars, for one star differs from another star in glory. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption, it is raised in incorruption. It is is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam, that's Christ, became a life-giving spirit. However, the spiritual is not first, but the natural and afterward the spiritual. The first man was of the earth, made of dust. The second man is the Lord from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are made of dust. And as is the heavenly man, so are also those who are heavenly. And as we are born the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly man. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption, and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your sting? O Hades, where is your victory? So this is the resurrection from the dead that we talk about. And it puts perspective on everything else that we do in life. So the first question that we have to ask is, is this actually going to happen? Is this resurrection true? Can we bank our life on this resurrection from the dead or should we be much more worried about the present life? So firstly, there's plenty of historical evidence that Jesus rose from the dead. Books like Who Moved the Stone by Morrison or some of Josh McDowell's book, uh, and all of the, the resurrection factors and others. There's lots of good books out there that assemble all the evidence uh, for the resurrection from the dead. And it is convincing and it is compelling when you put the gospel counts together that Jesus did rise from the dead. There is not a grave somewhere with the body of Jesus in it. The tomb is empty 
Jesus did rise from the dead. Also, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that the soul is separate from the body. This may have happened to you. You may have had a near-death experience during an operation. I, I had some when I was younger, and my epilepsy played off and uh, played up, and I would uh, die and come back into my body. I would go up, and at one time I actually went to heaven, and God gave me the choice of coming back into my body. He said, It'd be, uh, your life will be difficult, but you have the choice to return, and I returned. So uh, back then I was having 40 or 50 seizures a day, and it was not a particularly... Uh, good time. Then they got me stabilised. So people come out and there's a, a book called Living Beyond and I've forgotten the author's name. But it's a Christian guy analyses 37,000 near-death experiences and it puts them in categories from the people that just go out from the operating table and can see the lights and hear what the surgeons say right through to people that go to heaven or go to hell and somehow come back. Uh, and this is a very convincing book and one of the interesting facts is the only religious leader that they ever meet in the afterlife is Jesus. Buddhists don't meet Buddha, they meet Jesus. Right? Uh, and so the people that are, uh, there's a lot of anecdotal evidence that we are not just dust. We are not just this body. There is a soul. We have a soul and a spirit and we are eternal beings and what happened to us eternally matters. Uh, if there is no resurrection, then it is eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. If there's no resurrection, if death is just the end of the game, if there's no eternal judgment, then why not just party? Why not just be wild like the people in Hollywood? Now, why, why be the way we are if, if that's the way it is? If there is no resurrection, then injustice wins because this life is not fair. The, the, the fairness has to come in the afterlife. Or we get stuck with eternal karma and continuous reincarnations, which is the Buddhist explanation. And when you get deep into Buddhism, it's really, really cruel. It's a cruel religion. Uh, and so, okay. The, the, if there is no resurrection, then we of all men most to be pitied. And the Christian life is not worth the effort. That's what uh, uh, Paul says. If there's no resurrection, we are most to be pitied because the Christians were being eaten by lions, they were being persecuted, they were being cast out of their Jewish families and Muslim converts these days are cast out of their Muslim families. Uh, and we are all most to be pitied and Christian life is not worth the effort if, if, because we don't get the reward in this life. If there is no resurrection, and Jesus talks about the resurrection a lot, then Jesus is a liar. And if Jesus is a liar, there is no salvation and no gospel and the New Testament is false. Because the New Testament again, again and again. So, so we, are, we bank our entire theology, we bank our lives on the truth of the resurrection. So what happens? I've got a, a bit of a computer nerd background. So it's backup, restore and transform. Firstly, God makes a backup. He numbers every hair on your head. He knows your every thought. Here, even if you're eaten by a shark or blown up by a nuclear bomb, God has a backup copy. The angels watch you at every step. And there's lots of, uh, he knows our thoughts, he forms our inward parts. He knows every molecule in your body uh, and, and you are of great preciousness to him. So he has a backup copy of you and every hair on your head is numbered. Restore. God presses restore and we are raised from the dead, but we are not raised a natural body. We are raised an incredibly powerful and glorious spiritual body. And finally transform. We are raised as a glorified spiritual being. The corrupt, corruptible puts on incorruptible. The mortal puts on immortality. 
And because we are immortal, we will not be married in heaven or have children in heaven because that would end up with an exponential number of people in heaven. <laughs> because if you keep having two children every 10 years or something for the rest of eternity, that rapidly gets bizarre. Uh, so uh, we will be eternal beings uh, and God has a great destiny for us. Okay. Uh, let's go back to Daniel. At that time, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, the Jews and the Christians, and there shall be a time of trouble, the tribulation, such as never was since there was a nation even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. So the great tribulation takes over the earth. We go through some part of that tribulation and then we're delivered out of it. Uh, I'm not getting into the theories of pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, etc., here, but we we haven't had time for that. But there will be a time when evil takes over the world. The Antichrist seems to have everything under his control. The six six six. He controls the finances. He controls the military. Sets up this huge idol, uh, and the world becomes absolutely dominated by evil. Uh, people are slaughtered, beheaded. Uh, Satan goes to war with the people of God, uh, and. In this war, uh, it seems like all hope is lost. But God's word says we shall have hope. The Antichrist will not win. On a human level, we have systems that make us feel like ants. And I do a little bit of cybersecurity stuff and, and things like that. Uh, and the power of the knowledge that is about you, the things that are known about you by Google, by Yahoo, even by uh, uh, some of the target is the most da data collecting firm around. And it's able to, able to tell when someone's pregnant before their family knows they're pregnant. Uh, and it's a record of doing that. It was sending coupons because she was buying the a 16 year old girl, girl got sent all these coupons for baby products and the parents got mad. And it turned out she was pregnant because uh, they'd found out she was buying some sort of lotions and this. So the target figured out she was pregnant and pregnant ladies are the top of the, the, the target of the people that they want to do. So they send out a, a coupon. They know every detail of your life. Uh, these big firms. And so when, when a system of control comes in, uh, with the new computerized things on your electricity and your thing, they can just switch off your electricity by a computer. They can switch off your gas by a computer. They can shut down your internet and phone with a few flicks of a computer switch. Uh, they can take your money out of your bank, whoosh, and you are left starving if you rebel against this government. But God will be bigger than that time of trouble. We will be delivered. Okay, there is, and then he says, and then many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting contempt. There are two alternatives, everlasting life or the second death and everlasting contempt. Now, uh, this is a terrible division. We see this in some of the parables where they say a, they separate the fish some in this basket, some in that. Or the other ones where there's two lines before uh, the Lord Jesus Christ, the righteous and the wicked and so on. There's always only two alternatives. And people are going to be one or the other, which is why I'm a missionary. Now, I'm not into the very 
lurid pictures of hell with you know the dragon uh, in, or the devil in red and these little demons running around with pitchforks. Hell is quite simply like a thermos flask. In a thermos flask, the temperature is constant, so it's always hot. And Jesus says, their fire does not go out. And, but the decay happens. If you put the milk in the thermos flask with the coffee, you come back a week later, the milk will be off. So the worm does not die. So if you want to imagine hell as this like giant thermos flask that's very hot and they drop the wicked souls of the wicked in there and then they put the top on and it's dark. It's just, hell is described as dark. It's dark. It's separated from God. It's its own universe of punishment uh, and it's just sealed off. And the wicked are in there. There's no hope. And people just consume one another because they're selfish people interacting with selfish people and you have hell. That's all it is. It's just, well, it's, technically, it's called a closed thermodynamic system if you're into, for the engineers in the room. <laughs> so, so that's all it is. It's like a giant thermos flask into which the wicked are dropped. And that fits all the... Uh, so some to everlasting life. And those of us who believe in Jesus... For God so sent, his, so I love the world that he sent his only begotten son, that those who believe in him may have everlasting life. You have that choice. Today, if you haven't made that choice, it'll be a good time to do so. Okay, then it says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever but you, Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. So the words, the world's going to become more and more knowledgeable. We see that all the time. Uh, and there's enormous amounts of knowledge and, and science in the world today. And that's a good thing. I'm not against those things. But it, but it says, those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament. And those who turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. And this gives you a clue as to how you should be investing your life. You should not be foolish, but you should be wise. You should guide people. You should help people. You should be a source of wisdom to those around you to whatever extent you can do so. And your work, your daily work, showing wisdom and diligence in that and being wise in your relationships and a person of wisdom so that as a father or a grandfather, you can guide your children in their ways of truth and guide people around you. And those should turn many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. Turning two people to righteousness is not a pleasant task because you have to rebuke them. You have to say, hey, stop doing that sinful thing. Let's turn around. Let's walk in uh, the straight path instead of this wide and wicked path. And if you turn people to righteousness, some of them will not turn and they will accuse you of being judgmental or nasty or a fundamentalist or whatever. But God wants people to be righteous. He wants them to walk a straight and holy life. And you ought to encourage your children and your nieces and your nephews and your friends and those around you to walk the path of righteousness and do not allow them to wander. Do not allow them to go off into the darkness of immorality or, or dishonesty or the many other sins that afflict us, envy and jealousy. And so we should be people that turn other people to righteousness. And the reward for that, because it's not pleasant, you don't get... Uh, uh, much kudos in this life for being someone that turns other people to righteousness. Uh, the reward for that is that you will shine like the stars forever and ever uh, in, the, in the end times after judgment. And here's what Jesus says about things in John 5, 24 and 25. 
he tells us that we are safe. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. So if you believe his words, if you, and you believe in God who sent Jesus, shall not come into judgment. So if you believe in Jesus and you walk in his commandments, you live the Christian life as a serious Christian, you do not come in to capital J judgment. Right? You do come into a, a sort of uh, review later on, which we'll talk about. But you're not coming unto condemnation. You have come from death to life. You are safe in the arms of God. You will get to heaven. Okay. But as passed from death into life, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. So the dead will be in the graves. Jesus will come down with a shout and they will hear his voice and they will rise up. And they say, Lord, it's my time. And they will come up. Now, at the moment, let me explain some confusion here. Of course, we go into the presence of God immediately. Now, if you, your spirit and your soul goes into the presence of God and you go to, he to, to heaven in, your, in, the, in that form, but your resurrection body has not, you have not been clothed with that yet. That's what happens at this point. Okay. Do not marvel at this, continuing, John, same chapter. John 5, 28 and 29. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Now, what's Jesus saying here? Previous verses, he says, all those who believe, right, has everlasting life. And now he says, those who do good. If you believe, you're going to do good. If you believe in Jesus, you're going to go and put your faith into action and lead a good life. Right? If you say you believe in Jesus, but you refuse to lead a good life, you're being a hypocrite. That's why Jesus talks about the hypocrites. They say they're religious, but they don't do anything good with their life. So believing and doing good are joined together. That's why James says, faith without works is dead. If you've got living faith, if you're walking with Jesus in you, if Jesus is in your heart, what does Jesus want to do? He wants to do good works and he's in your heart. He wants to do good works. The Holy Spirit's in your body. The Holy Spirit wants to do good works. So you will do good if Christ is in your heart. You'll be kind. You'll be compassionate. You will extend yourself. You will be neighborly and hospitable. You will do good. Uh, and so those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So here is this great split at the end of time. Now, so what happens to us as believers? And, and, and Paul here is talking about the judgment seat of Christ. Now, the judgment seat of Christ, we are not condemned. We're not cast into hell. Judgment seat of Christ, our work is evaluated. Right? Just like you do a performance review at work, uh, and no one's going to fire you, but they're going to say, wait a sec, you need to do this better and this better and this better. You have a performance review of what you've done in your life and everyone will give an account of themselves to God. So you will give an account of how you've conducted your Christian life before the Lord and especially you know, how you've conducted yourself with the gospel. 
So here we are, 1 Corinthians 3. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, that's the day of judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will yet be saved, yet is through fire. So what is God interested here? He's interested in quality. To build with gold, silver, and precious stones, they're often small things, but they're done well. Right? Now, so as a, as a missionary, as a, a pastor, as someone who's a Bible teacher, my job is to make high-quality disciples for Jesus. People that really know the Word, that are deep, that live honourable lives, that walk holy. My job is to make high-quality disciples for Jesus. I'm not there to crank out millions and millions of shallow Christians. That's building a haystack. That's building with straw and stubble. And there are some ministries that have extremely large audiences, but it's this shallow. They're just piling up straw. If you get a hay bale, you can make a big hay bale in a couple of days, but it's, it's worthless. Huh? So where to make high-quality disciples. Uh, and if you're a parent, you're to raise your children in the fear of God so you produce high-quality children as the Lord enables you to do so. Uh, and, and in the contributions that you make for the gospel, you're to build with gold and silver and precious stones and your life is to be full of that fear of God and that holiness that says there are precious things in this life. There's a quiet and godly spirit and you sense that in that person there is a precious spirit within them. Now people are careless, if people are foolish, then their works are burned up. But they themselves are saved, but as through fire. And I think I may have told this story before. I was talking to a young man that had lost a buddy in uh, it was either Afghanistan or somewhere like that. And he's, three days later, the buddy came to him in a dream and this uh, young man said to him, so it's real? And he said, yes, it's real. The guy, the guy that was passed away said, yes, it's real. He says, uh, and, he, and he says, are you okay? He goes, yes, I'm okay, but I wish I had done more. And then the guy who's passed away said to his, this young man, do more. And that was the end of this very powerful dream or vision. And this guy jumped out of his bunk uh, in the military bunk and landed on the guy next to him who didn't appreciate <laughs> this guy having a vision. It was such a powerful vision. So we need to do more. We need to live the life knowing that this resurrection is coming, knowing that one day we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of how we've lived our life. Now, I don't lay that on you to crush you or to make you to feel bad, but to help you to set your priorities because... Our priorities get pulled this way and that. This is part of the death to selfie thing. If I don't control my priorities, someone else will control them for me. Right? Someone else will gobble up my time. Someone else will gobble up my money. Someone else will set the direction of my life. Uh, or the culture will set the direction of my life. Or the politics or my own feelings and lusts and desires will set the direction of my life. And I will be off higgledy-piggledy all over the place. And my life will not be walking in the hope of the resurrection. It'll be walking in the hope of a nice house or a good career or a nice retirement. Uh, and as I get closer one of these days, maybe I will retire. But my hope is not in a nice retirement. 
My hope is, is not in becoming a famous preacher. My hope is in the resurrection. My, my hope is to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Because in this life, our hopes get crushed. Right? We hope in this thing and it gets swept away. We build a career and suddenly the firm we've built in a career in goes broke. Or we get backstabbed at work. Or this happens or that happens. And dreams get crushed. Dreams in this life go away or we just get old. Right? And as I'm, I'm 62 now, I had to go into hospital a few months ago and the nurses looked at me like I was transparent. I realised I now in people's eyes I'm an old man. And there are no good adjectives that go with old man, right, in American culture. Uh, I'm now just an old guy that's disposable. Uh, and so we feel that. We, we feel that hope is slipping away and the years are passing and maybe the opportunities that are not there that were there when I was, say, 25 or 30. But that's fine. Uh, the hope is in the resurrection, the hope is what will I receive on that day and what you will receive. And that needs to start boiling through your priority system. right? Because that's what's really going to matter. Yes, you will be raised from the dead. This is not just pastor talk. Right? Now, if that's going to happen, and it is going to happen, what are you going to say to Jesus? What are you going to tell him how you ran your life? Well, I... I sort of, well, I made a lot of money and um, I sort of kept it. <laughs> uh, what are you going to say? Are you going to be giving an honourable account of your life? And if you look at your life down and say, well, I kind of messed up, what's the use of trying? There is a use of trying because God is gracious. And some of those that come at the 11th hour in the parable, they get a great reward just as well. So get the priorities reset in your head don't be distracted by all the things that try and distract us. Set your hope on the calling that's before you, the hope of the resurrection. Okay. Uh, so, and then we go to 1 Corinthians 15, which I read earlier. So also is the resurrection of the dead. The body is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is so in a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. We are raised glorious creatures. And a few months ago, I think I preached here on why God made the universe. And I said he made the universe to give it to Jesus and to the sons of God, which is us. All things are made for Jesus Christ. We are brothers and sisters of Jesus Christ. We're coming into inheritance. And for that inheritance which we will walk in for ages to come. We're going to need this glorious spiritual body. We will be doing great works for God for the rest of eternity in the plans that God has for us. And in these great works, we will require a body that's glorious, incorruptible. And we will have authority and we will have power over a glorified universe, the new heavens and the new earth. So behold, I tell you a mystery we shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. So there's going to be a point at which we are transformed in the twinkling of an eye. 
Now, when eternity meets this world of time, things happen instantly. Lazarus was raised from the dead instantly. Uh, people were healed when Jesus uh, spoke to them instantly. It talks about immediately, immediately, immediately. The Greek word youth is all through, especially Mark's gospel. It immediately happens, in immediate, because when eternity intersects time, it, ha- it happens in a moment. And in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the eternal will invade this world and we will all be changed. Just like that, into our eternal bodies. And we go, what? What? What's this? What are these wings? What's this crown? What's this? And we will all be changed. And the uh, mortal will put on the immortal. And we will go into our destiny in the heavenly Jerusalem. Now, at the moment, that just sounds like fantasy. It sounds like some mad thing that something came up in a dream. But I want you to think, what if this is true? What if there really is a hope of the resurrection? What if you're going to get a reward? Do you want the best reward that you can get? Or is John just preaching fire and brimstone again? Huh? And so if this is true, if this is so, then the rest of your life has to line up with it. And I want you to go home and I want you to think, this, did what, is, past, is that thing that Pastor John said, is it really true? Do I have to align my priorities with Judgment Day? Do, do, is it really matter what I do with my life? Yes, it does. Right? And so just think, okay, so what's our conclusion? And the worship team can start to come up. Keep the end in sight. And all the rushing to and fro, all the social media, all the work that you do, all the just daily chores of going to, to Target or to Costco or to whatever, through all this, we need to keep the end of our lives in sight. We need to realise that there is the hope of the resurrection. There is the hope of being like Jesus. There is the hope of dwelling in eternal realms. And for those of you that have tough lives, remember, you're going to a glorious resurrection. That your life is not going to be tough forever. That God remembers your labour in Him. He remembers the difficulties of your life, just as the, the, we see the Lazarus and the beggar. The beggar is covered in sores, and the, the dog sticks the sores, but the rich man goes by. That beggar ends up in Abraham's bosom. God remembers that person. So keep the end in sight. Believe in Jesus and have your eternal life. Live a good and holy life so you can have an eternal reward. Do good works that are of high quality and which point to Christ. And have faith during persecution. Because this is Daniel's time. It was a time of persecution. And he says, you've got to have faith. Last, uh, when I was in Finland, I was among Muslim background believers. Many of them had a price on their head. Many of them had, uh, had attempts on their lives. Many of them had been kicked out of their families. And they had faith, a glorious faith in God during their time of persecution. So I ask you now, as I pray and as we go into communion, to start pulling away the veil that this world puts over our eyes, that today is immediately necessary, that this and that must occupy our life and our priorities. I want you to glimpse the eternal. We do not have faith in that which is seen, but that which is unseen. We do not walk by uh, sight, but by faith. 
Let's pray together that God will give us an understanding of his resurrection and we will be able to live lives holy and gracious to God. Let's stand up while I pray. Father in heaven, we live in a modern world where we're often confused, where we're often swept along by the tide of life and of politics and of money and of necessity and all the things that we have to do. And we have lost sight of the end. We have lost sight of the work that you want to do in our life, to be holy and pure before you, to be able to be people who work in gold and silver and precious stones and do the holy things of God. Now, Lord, I ask that every single one of us may have faith and hope in the resurrection. And on that day when we shall stand before the Lord Jesus Christ, when we shall hear his voice, and stand up glorious and be changed. We thank you that Christ has risen. We thank you that we shall rise. We thank you that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of God and of his Christ. And now, Lord, we ask that you will renew our minds, that you will renew our hearts, and that we will focus on the hope that is before us. And that hope will be firm. That hope will be planted in our hearts. And that you will bless us this week and in the days to come. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, you can visit us online at newlifefoursquare.org.